two very important attributes of our God that is, that is very, very often overlooked, especially by Laodicean carnival Christianity. So it's very important that we get an understanding in Romans 11, verse number 22. The Bible says, Behold, therefore, all of a sudden there is an urge and an appeal to look at the dealings of God and the attributes of God in a real way. And it says, Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. This modern church would only like to read about God's goodness. Verse 22 is very important because you can't have God's goodness without His severity and vice versa. The goodness. If you want some Holy Spirit jet fuel, get yourself and your thoughts in on the goodness of God. You want to continue, you, do you want to continue to labor for God? Do you want to continue to love God more? Do you want to continue to serve God? Get in on understanding His goodness. And I pray we're able to do that this morning. If there's any prize you should hold close to your chest, it's this. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Behold, therefore, thy goodness. If you're saved, remember, it was the goodness of the Lord that led you to repentance. Don't forget that. If you're not saved this morning, remember the same thing. The goodness of God will lead you to repentance. Don't despise. Don't despise the riches of God's goodness. The Bible says in Psalm 52, the goodness of God endureth continually. God is good. Help me out. All the time, all the time. God is good. Amen. Brother Rogers got the hat. Amen. God is good. And look, that is not just a cliche for Christians. That's Bible. Amen. That's chock full of Bible truth. But lest us forget, Bible also says, Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. The root word of severity is sever. It's to cut off. You remember talking about Israel and uh, trees and branches and all of that, and, and Israel's cut off. Now, Israel's going to be restored, and we're going to see that doctrinally as Romans 11 plays out. But this morning, we're talking practically about God and His attributes. Look, God is just in all His ways. He's consistent with His purposes, and His purposes are perfect all the time. Go to John 15, if you would. John chapter 15. John 15, verse number 2. John 15, well, we'll read verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. John 15, look at verse 2. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. 
the severity of God or God's severing or cutting off of Israel, uh, there's some pruning and some purging. The idea behind it is that it's going to produce more fruit. And that is going to come a time of the fullness. Remember, we talked about that doctrinally. That will happen during Christ's millennial reign. We will see the fullness of the restoration of Israel. So they might be cut off. They might be severed now. It's the time of the Gentiles now. But look, God has something in plan. His purposes are right and good. You see in that same verse in Romans 11, Romans 11 in verse 22, we also see, uh, it goes on to say, on them which fell severity. That's the, that was the Jews it's speaking of because of unbelief. And then it says, but toward thee, goodness. So taking a little side trip to just understand, that would be us, the Gentiles. The severity in the context um, Israel because of unbelief and then Gentiles toward the goodness. So doctrinally we'll understand that. Let's get back to our practical application though of God's goodness versus severity. If you would, go to Psalms 95. Psalms 95. Too many times, too many preachers, too many churches, too many Christians have this view of God as just one-sided. We read Romans 11, but it's almost as if the severity isn't there. And we just want to behold God's goodness. And if that's all you've got, you don't have the right God. You don't have all the character traits if you are thinking of the right God. Psalms 95. I trust you're there. Verse 1. The Bible says, Come, let us sing of the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Make a joyful noise unto Him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is His also. The sea is His. And He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. God created the earth, and He created the sea. But people only want the good, the good side of God's creation. We so much live in a world that's just compacted into hallmark or meme Christianity where it's the rolling hills and the green pastures and it's the cool breeze uh, as you walk on the sand near the ocean or it's the pretty picture of the snowflakes oh so gently falling on God's beautifully created earth. Lest us not forget there's tornadoes and hurricanes from the same God. Lest us not forget the crash and the thunder and the lightning and the earthquakes and the volcanic eruptions is something God controls as well. Even in His creation, we can see the goodness and the severity. We have a God who created a heaven, 
but He also created a hell. And we must not forget these two attributes of God or we become way, way unbalanced. God's creation gives us a picture of that. What we have done as a nation, as a culture, is we've built up a fence. Uh, we've tore down the fence that should be there, rather. Because on one side, we have God's holiness and His goodness and His righteousness. But on the other side of the fence, we have God's severity, we have God's wrath, we have God's hatred of sin. And as soon as we knock down that fence, you're either going to have all the severity come over and get rid of the goodness, or you're going to have all the goodness blend over and take over the severity. And we're going to end up with a one-sided God. But we don't have a one-sided God. We've got both. We can't forget that. Behold the goodness of God, but not without beholding the severity of God. People don't honor Christ, not with their lips anymore. It's more blasphemous words. People instead, they'll, uh, honoring God now, they'll challenge God's might. They'll challenge God's wisdom. They'll shake their fist at God. Why? Because they only have a view of God that He's good. They don't respect His severity. Instead of having holiness unto the Lord as part of our life as Christians, this culture is brought into the church. It's just worldliness. The fence has been broken down. There's not both sides of God anymore in our world. This is why you have churches that are church buildings that are full with prosperity gospel preachers. Do you ever notice the unbalancing of that type of preaching? We can't do that. We can't do that. Psalm 95, look at verse 3. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all God. I'm telling you, great's better than good. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. You got this big thing now that's good. You know, it's, it's everywhere. Everywhere in every industry. The goat, you know, the greatest of all times. How great thou art. Amen. I've got the goat. The greatest of all time. The greatest message of all time. The greatest Savior of all time. I've got a great God. And so do you if you're saved. And when I think that God His Son not sparing sent Him to die I scarce can take it in that on the cross, my burden gladly bearing. That's what makes him great. Amen. He gladly bore the burden. <laughs> Amen. 
oh, oh, well, 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 we don't understand that verse because we don't think about the severity of God. We just think about the goodness of God. We don't think we're really not that, we don't think we're that bad. That's why Him gladly bearing our burden isn't a big deal. You and I are worse than we would think. And God gladly bore the bearing. He bled and died to take away my sin and your sin. I hope you fear God. I hope you keep His commandments. God is good all the time. Let's try that again. God is good all the time. Amen. Behold, therefore, the severity. Get 1 John chapter number 4. The other side of the ditch is some people just want to focus on God's severity. That would be equally unbalanced. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Look at verse number 9. And this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. If you just embrace the severity of God, you're liable to fall into the ditch and embrace a fatalistic view of who our Creator God is. And that fatalistic view will be that you think or you've been taught that God has created some to just be on the receiving end of His severity because He needs to show His sovereignty and just drop some people into hell and we just need to praise the Lord that He's sovereign. And yes, He is but if you embrace a fatalistic view, a one-sided view of God, and you just focus on His severity, you will miss out on understanding the balance that His goodness brings. God's love is offered to all. Verse number 9, it says that we might live through Him. Well, that's Christians. Okay, verse 10, herein is love, not that we love God. Did you love God before you got saved? You didn't love God. Let me ask you this. Now that you are saved and 1 John's being written to Christians, do you love God like you ought to love God? You don't, and I don't. God is severe, but He is not just severe. He's also good. And it says that He loved us and He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That means Jesus Christ appeased the wrath of God on Calvary's tree, appeased God the Father's wrath for you and for me. He did that for us while we were His enemy. Why? Because He's good. Verse number, uh, verse number 14. Lest you think that God doesn't love all 
and doesn't want all to be saved. Verse number 14, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. That's pretty simple for me to understand that God's goodness can lead anyone to repentance. I don't believe that. Well, let's read verse 15. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. That's a pretty simple verse if you want to convince somebody that God loves them. <laughs> and God offers a free gift to them. You ready to confess Christ as the Son of God? That He was virgin born in a manger? Salvation is not difficult. God's love is offered to all. Be careful of fatalism repackaged as Calvinism, which gives you one side of God's attribute without the other. Our God is waiting to be gracious, and He is waiting to be good to the next repentant sinner. Is there a sinner here this morning? Is there a sinner here this morning that hasn't come to repentant faith in Christ? God's waiting. God's waiting. Here's a fact of life. You and I naturally avoid things that cause us pain. There's nothing wrong with that. And a lot of times, if we start thinking about the severity of God, that can cause some emotional and spiritual pain. So we tend to not think about severity of God, wrath of God, and all of that. We keep that thought at a distance. Have you ever done it? I have. How many of you try to avoid encounters with people that are difficult? Because the conversation's going to go wrong, right? We do that. You know, you got the crazy employee that's about ready to come into the lunchroom and you switch your seat because you don't want to deal with that. Right. I'm taking that thought and I'm trying to imply it to this. A lot of times we do that mentally with, with the attribute of God's severity. We don't want to think about it. So what do we default to? Well, God's just loving, God's just good, God's just forgiving. And why? Because we don't want to deal with the difficult parts of the attributes of our God. Proverbs chapter number 8. Let's go there. Proverbs 8. Proverbs 8. Look at verse number 13. Proverbs 8 verse 13. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the froward mouth, do I hate. That verse would tell me very clearly that there's some severity to our God. God who gave the law doesn't want His law trampled on. God who gave us commands doesn't want us to flippantly just throw them out. God is a God who hates evilness. There's some severity to His nature. And He's 100% holy. And do you believe that? Do you believe God's 100% holy? Amen. Then by default, He has to be 100% set against what? Evil. Evil. Amen. Do you hate sin? Yes. God wants us to hate sin. 
He wants us to hate what He hates and love what He loves. There's the goodness of God and the severity. There's the love of God and the hatred that God has. And it's real. It's real. Psalms chapter number 50. Psalms 50. Bible says in verse 21, Psalms 50 verse 21, Bible says these things, Psalms 50 verse 21, these things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such an one as thyself. People create an idea of God in their own imagination. And it isn't right. Amen. And Psalm verse 21 says, Thou thoughtest. You're measuring God by the personal creation of who you want God to be. Thou thoughtest. Don't. Don't interpret God in the mindset or the presupposition of it's somebody that you want to feel comfortable accepting. You've got to accept Him who He is. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such an one as thyself. God isn't like you and God isn't like me. We need to quit thinking that He is. He is so much more than we can ever even imagine. says verse 21 then he says but I will reprove thee I'm telling you God's not satisfied and he's not accepting the form of godliness that we may create in our own mind and bring to him he's not satisfied with that it's grave sin it's idolatry is what it is when we create those things in our mind and he says in Psalms 51 I will reprove thee it's not right it's not right Have you ever known of grown children? Raised right, loved right, every opportunity they can have. Grown children, uh, now they're adults, and they completely turn their back on their parents. They don't talk to them. They don't respect or honor them. Honor thy father and mother's gone. Any right-thinking person can sympathize with those parents. Any right-thinking pers person can. The same principle applies when we look at God. <laughs> we, Christians just live their life as if it's no big deal to, to honor their Heavenly Father. They just get involved in things as if, as if their Heavenly Father doesn't even exist. They're not talking to Him. They're not praying to Him. They're acting like He doesn't even exist. A couple times a year, maybe I'll think about Him and go to church. If that anymore. If that. It used to be in America, you can get people to go to church at least twice a year. 
where they'd come and think about God. Now it's not even that way. It's not even that way. It's as if the rebellious child who's a grown adult that's been treated so good now acts like, yeah, it's not really a big deal that I don't talk to you. It's not really a big deal that I have no interest in showing you any honor at all. And yet millions of Christians live their life like that toward God. He's been so good. We've lost focus of the severity of God. And we don't think there's any consequences because God's just good. And it's not right. Amen. We should love Him with all of our heart. I have trouble loving my spouse or my, or my Christian friends or my, my, my children or, or my parents or, or whatever. Maybe, you just need, maybe, maybe, maybe the root problem is you just don't love God. You just don't respect Him enough. And any parent would sympathize with parents where their children have walked away from them. You know, God says in Proverbs 1, because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. If you would, Psalms 53. Psalms 53. Foolishness. Foolishness. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. You better watch out. You better not cry. Uh, you better not pout. I'm telling you why. Because Santa Claus is coming to town. You know what that is? Psalms 53. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Their God, America has a Santa Claus God. They do. And... It's a, it's a crying shame. It's a heart-crying shame that American idolatry has turned into Santa Claus. It's Santa Claus Christianity. And they did a little study with kids years back. They showed them, I mean, you don't make a graven image of Jesus or nothing like that, so I'm not supporting that, but I'm supporting the point that was made. An artist made a rendering of what they think Jesus looked like. Okay, all right, we shouldn't do that. But the point was, they put that and Santa Claus, and you know who the kids could recognize? Their God, Santa Claus. And parents are going to spend $200, $300 to go to Walmart to have their kids sit on the lap of a false God, yet they can't give a dime to their local church or to missions or to a Christian family in their church that has a need. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They don't love God. They love their false gods. Well, that quiets up a room. Verse number two. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to ruin anybody's morning. I just, I can't understand why we don't see the gods of America so clear. 
Thy tongue deviseth mischiefs. Like a sharp razor working deceitfully. You're just too hard on us, Brother Jimmy. You're just too hard on us. I'm not trying to be hard. Verse number 3. Thou lovest evil more than good. I have to talk this way and I have to be this way because I see our culture and our world loving evil and not good. And God helping me, I am going to continue to push myself and y'all to love good, the goodness of God. Love the good, not the evil. Love the real thing, not the fake. Love the true carpenter, not the counterfeit Christ. Get excited. If this, if this is a time to get excited, if there's ever been a time to get excited this year, use this year to point people to the goodness of God so they would come to repentance. Verse number 5, Thou lovest all devouring words, O thou deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy thee forever. Yeah, He's a God of severity. He shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place and root thee out of the land of the living. Selah! Think about that for a second. Think about it. If we really got a hold of the severity of God, we wouldn't act, live, sing, talk, and do some of the things that we do. There's two sides of the Lord. Unsaved people want one side. You say love, I say love and wrath. You say kind, I say kind and jealous. You say light of the world, I say light of the world and a consuming fire. It's both. The modern church says goodness, I say amen, but goodness and severity. Right, amen. You say positive, I say both positive and, and negative. On a battery, what do you got? Two terminals. Okay? You got a positive terminal and you got a negative terminal. If you have two positive terminals, it's not going to function correctly. If you have two negative terminals, you're not going to get any power coming out of that battery. And if you don't have a positive and a negative God, you've got no power coming out. <laughs> You've got a God that is both positive and negative. Amen. I'm telling you, you have somebody that loves everything. You don't have a God. You've got a monster. God loves good things, pure things, holy things, righteous things. But He hates evil things and sinful things. Well, my God just loves everything. He's not a God. He's a monster. Let's finish the most important point we can make. God's severity met with God's goodness brings about the absolute uniqueness of the Gospel. The Gospel proves that God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his evil way and live. God's severity is not because He takes pleasure in seeing His creatures suffer. That is not why God is severe. He's, his severity is only because of His truthfulness and His holiness 
His justice and His righteousness. The Gospel brings the uniqueness that God wants the wicked to live. And when we go out and witness, it better be we want people to live like our God does. And look, I told you earlier, God prepared heaven and hell. God had an ark for salvation and He had floodwaters for destruction. It's both, folks. It's both. And the Gospel brings the uniqueness that we have a just God and a Savior, Isaiah 45. And by the way, there is none beside Him. The Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. The door of salvation is open to any, all and anyone who would receive. And that pardon is offered through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. But for someone to truly embrace that pardon, they must come to grips with the severity of their own sin. Yes, sir. Amen. Amen. Why do you need a good God if you're already kind of good? Why do you need a Savior if you think I've done some things wrong, but I'm not as bad as you don't. And this world doesn't. None of us can truly appreciate the goodness of God until we magnify the absolute worthlessness and sinfulness of mankind. It's only through the, the magnifying glass of sin where we continue to see ourselves wretched, more wretched, absolutely vile, completely undone and without hope. It's only then can we appreciate how good God really is. Because we really don't need a really good and patient and long-suffering God if we don't see our sin exceedingly sinful. Amen. And it's only through the Gospel that brings the severity and the goodness together where it becomes such a unique offer that only a fool would say in his heart there is no God. God is not only just, but He's the justifier of Him. That what? Believeth in Jesus. He's not looking to just be just. He's looking to be your justifier. I hope you know.